I would never enter into these interviews or these situations like networking with people trying to put up a front of who you think you should be. Now, that's not to say like you shouldn't develop professional skills, all the soft skills and everything, but someone out there is looking for you, not this other version of you, but you and what you can bring to the table. That was Cassie Lewis, a community tour developer who just landed her first role in tech. I wanted to talk with Cassie because she taught herself to code alongside her retail job and family obligations. This required her to be especially intentional with her time and effort, and she's going to show us how we can do the same. Inspired by books like Atomic Habits, Cassie deployed systems instead of setting goals to improve her chance of success. These systems involve dedicated time for coding and projects, of which Cassie has many on her portfolio, but also time for posting on LinkedIn and building her network, resulting in a two-pronged approach. There's a really nice bow to tie at the end of this episode when Cassie's intentional efforts networking helped her land a job. Productivity systems, professional networking, effective living, and how to break into tech as a junior. You're going to learn all about it today. Cassie, welcome to the show. It was not obvious I would become a developer, um, but very obvious I would do something creative. I definitely stumbled into it later in life. My background is in art and music. And some years back, I was working with WordPress and I wanted to customize it. So I started learning HTML and CSS. And then I wasn't really feeling challenged enough in my work life or paid enough. <laughs> and I decided I wanted to pursue something that was a good fit for the way that my mind works. I never had this big aha moment. I want to be this when I grow up. But I did have that moment. Where I was just like, I just need to find something that is challenging. I can use creativity and, you know, I'm very curious, like curiosity and problem solving. Like, what is the profession where I can do that? What was your kind of career path? Did you go to uni and get into a job right out of school? I did go to university. I have a fine arts degree in photography. Oh, nice. That sounds really fancy, actually. Yeah, it's a little bit too fancy, actually, for the real world, because it's not really useful unless you stay in university and like teach the fine arts path in particular. So I worked a combination of admin, retail, and service jobs and just kind of did art on the side. I had um, a portrait photography business. I also spent some time being a, a home educator. And then my most recent job was I was the bulk foods manager for a small organic grocery store. And that was part time. And that was when I really decided to like buckle down and study coding. Yeah, that's a tough place to be working especially around the holidays. Yes, for sure. Holidays were always really tough. I was also an essential worker during the pandemic, also really tough. And I just, I didn't want to do that anymore. Like I, I liked where I was and the people I was working with and the mission of providing the service for the community, but it was very hard on me. Like there was a lot of physical labor, you know, a lot of stimulus all the time. So I had to, you know, I had to do something else. I had been working on my feet for a long time and I had to do something else. When you were trying a few different roles, you described quite a spread of different things there. What was your kind of philosophy towards choosing the next opportunity? Was it the case of finding something that gave you a purpose? Like, for example, the job you're just describing for the community, that sounds very impactful, for example. 
Or was it more the case that you were trying to cultivate some kind of career change or maybe focus around salary? My most recent position, the bulk foods manager, was both. I tend to lean towards small companies, meaningful work. I just started out as a cashier. I needed a part-time job and then they offered me this position. And once I was in that, it really forced me to kind of take a look at that and, you know, long-term where I wanted to be salary-wise because I didn't feel like there was much growth opportunity there. Before you were describing an aha moment where you decided to pursue coding, what was that catalyst that made you want to pick up coding seriously enough that you can make a career out of it. I was already studying it and really enjoying it. And this position, the grocery manager position, I actually built it from the ground up because it was a new place that had just opened. And I jokingly, not so jokingly, referred to it as working for a grocery startup <laughs> because that's what it is, basically. Yeah, that sounds very intrapreneurial. And it was kind of like in those moments of building that position and realizing how I wanted to use my skills that I would be more challenged by something else. What led you to coding? I was working with WordPress. I had, was doing a little bit of blogging and I wanted to customize it. I knew a bit about HTML from college and working with like graphical user interfaces, but that was about the extent of it. So I started taking classes through Linda, which is now LinkedIn Learning, because my library had free access to those courses. And so between building this position and realizing, hey, I want to do something that really utilizes the way that my mind works, it really like clicking with coding, at least the beginning of it. I was like, yeah, I want to do this. I like the way you phrase it around finding something that is compatible with the way your mind works. That's exactly how I feel about coding. For example, in school, I really struggled with abstract concepts like maths or physics and things like that because I'm much more of a creative and practical person, I think. And there's something about the problem solving, which is more kinesthetic. You get to get your hands on it a little bit in a way that is really quite unique to coding. There aren't so many industries that involve creating where you get to see the feedback on your inputs so quickly, right? It happens instantly in a user interface or a terminal output compared to other industries like mechanical engineering, say, where you've got such a high barrier to entry to do anything even a little bit cool because you need all the equipment and that stuff. Right. And I have maintained throughout this journey that coding is not that different than making art. It really isn't. Your end product is different because you're producing software and applications and such. But I really feel this sort of the same process is going on as like making a piece of art when I'm coding. This switch to coding, it sounds like a very gradual but very intentional shift. Can you talk to that a little bit? I spent two years as a self-taught developer, just kind of bouncing around classes, but it was intentional. And then the pandemic kind of slowed me down. Since I was an essential worker, I didn't really have the time or the bandwidth that some people did that they were at home and me like, oh, I'm going to you know, do this now that I have to be at home. So I had a couple moments of like, why didn't you do this earlier? But we all know that's not productive. So at the end of last year, it was just like, it's go time. It's just time to do this. This comes up quite often on the podcast. I think it's on my mind more than anybody else's. But this idea that we often see three-month bootcamp success stories, six-month bootcamp success stories, or other types of rapid rises to learn to code and get a job 
I think they can serve to motivate, but if you're in a position where either you want to or need to take your time, those stories can be more harmful than good, I think. Were they in your peripheral at all and how did they make you feel? They were definitely in my peripheral, but I had a sense from the beginning that that was not going to be my story. I had a sense that these were folks that, you know, they could sit and code for 12 hours a day and achieve that goal. And that just wasn't going to be me. I had the job. I have a family. I have these life obligations that I have to tend to. And, you know, that's okay. That's awesome that they could do that in three or six months. But I knew that I wasn't going to be able to. So yeah, like a, like a little daunting, but yeah, if you can do it, cool. It's funny <laughs> because you look at these stories, but they're just one basically small part of life, which is your job. I know it doesn't always feel like a small part of our lives. It makes up a big chunk of time, but there are other things, right? Like our health and well-being, our relationships with our friends and families, experiencing life and all those kind of things. I remember I'm quite fortunate in the sense that I knew I wanted to code from a teenage age and I really dedicated myself to the subject. And that meant I was maybe one of those young people with like an impressive sounding story because I as you say, I had the privilege of being able to sit at the computer, not worry about bills or providing, living very frugally, you could say, to extend my runway. And that was like my focus and that made sense. And I felt good about that for a bit. But when I got a little bit older, I kind of realized that like there were other areas in my life that were lagging while I focused on that. And I don't think everybody talks about that. Like it's a whole life, not just a job, right? For sure. Even though I was trying to be exceptionally intentional, there were definitely things that fell by the wayside. You know, I didn't love it, but I also had the wherewithal to sense that, hey, this is temporary. It's not like I'm going back to university for four years of study. It's going to be study until I can get a job which hopefully is in four years. <laughs> and it's like a safer way of doing it, in my opinion, because as soon as you kind of quit your job or take on a financial commitment, like an in-person intensive coding bootcamp or a university course, for example, I think that puts a lot of pressure on a person to come out the other end and be financially successful in terms of earning a salary. And one thing people realize quite quickly in their coding journey, and it can be a source of both motivation, but also dread, is this idea that there is no guarantee of success at the end. Sometimes you just have to go down the path for a while to see how you get on with it. And obviously you might just not have the most self-belief that this is something that can be done. Every coding journey is full of ups and downs and we're only human, right? So it's natural to doubt ourselves. How did you think about it at the time? Did you have a unwavering self-confidence or is it something you had to manage on a weekly basis? Definitely had to manage self-confidence. We all talk about, you know, the imposter syndrome and, and all those kinds of things. And I think those things are, are very real. For me, maintaining the self-confidence to feel like I could do this and could come out with a job in the end was just like filling my mind with the right information and motivation, you know, building a network of things and people that I wanted to see on LinkedIn of people who are doing the same thing I was listening to the Scrimba podcast, joining coffee talks, having chats with other people and being a part of the Scrimba community, even like the town hall or the weekly boot camp sessions, all those things just contributed to like lifting me up and, you know, feeling like, okay, I, I can do this. 
you know, it's hard, but I can do this. Coming up, what is effective living and how can it help you code? The goal is the result that you want, but you're focusing on the process. And what does it feel like to find a job that requires no experience? The clouds parted and the light came down and... But before that, let's take a look at social media. Hi, I'm Jan, the producer, and in every episode I go through your Twitter or LinkedIn posts about the show. We really enjoyed your Spotify rap during December. I've already read some of your tweets and LinkedIn posts on the show, but overall it was great seeing the Scrimba podcast in your top 10s or seeing how much you listened to us in 2023. Johanna listened to us for 2,937 minutes. Ashwarya listened to us for 1,007 minutes. Ebuku, and I really hope I'm saying it right, listened to us for 585 minutes. And developer.md tweeted, The Scrimble Podcast. I enjoyed every one of the 2,110 minutes I spent with you in 2023. Thank you. No, thank you. And a big thanks to everybody for listening to us in 2024. If you like our show, the best way to support us is to tell somebody about it. Now, you can do it in person or you can share it on social media. And as long as your social media posts contain the words Scrimba and podcast, we will find them and you will get a shout out right here on the show. If you're feeling super supportive, you can also leave us a rating or review in your podcast app choice and yes i also read those in this segment but for now let's go back to the interview with cassie our brains are so smart but so stupid sometimes i think <laughs> in the sense that we can become developers and solve hard problems but then we second guess ourselves all the time and it's a very natural thing i think to absorb a vibe that surrounds you it's that idea, right, that you're the sum of the people you listen to and hang out with the most. And if you're kind of on LinkedIn and you're constantly coming across news about layoffs and things like that, uh, there's not much you can do with that information. It's probably just a source for dread. But then if you follow uplifting people who are sharing success stories or actionable advice, it gives you a little bit of psychological safety, I think. And that can kind of help you then latch on and focus on the thing you need to, which is learning to code. For sure. That was pretty much what it was all about. Environment, community, building systems, things like that. Did you ever read any interesting books on your journey towards learning to code and getting a job? I did. But none of them involved coding. I challenged myself to read um, more nonfiction last year. And I challenged myself in other areas too while I was exploring this coding journey or doing this coding journey. And it kind of all adds up to the same thing. You know, if I'm challenging myself to read more nonfiction just because I want to delve into that information and it helps me develop my focus, that's going to make me a better coder. So like my favorite books that I read this past year were probably Atomic Habits. I think everyone's pretty familiar with that. Creativity Inc. It's like the Pixar story and Greg McCown's Essentialism. Those were probably my three favorites from last year. And those Atomic Habits and Essentialism are kind of about effective living and like I said, like contributing to this greater whole, how effective can you be in all facets of your life is just going to make you a better coder. I've read both those books, actually, uh, Essentialism and Atomic Habits. And the 
diagrams and essentialism are burned on my brain. It so simply illustrates this idea of focus and not spreading yourself too thin by pursuing, I think one diagram illustrates a circle with an objective in the middle, and then it has like 10 lines coming out of the circle, illustrating 10 different things you could be doing and you're fragmenting your effort this way, but you're not getting anywhere. Compared to if you just focus on one thing, you then combine the length of those 10 lines into one focused direction where the line goes for distance and you actually achieve what you want. Even the cover of the book, I think, has a rather striking diagram like that. I like this perspective around we're not just reading coding books, but reading general books around, did you describe it as effective living? Yes. What does that mean to you? I'm a person who's highly driven. I tend towards overachieving, but that in my life has also led me to learning about burnout the hard way that really like deeply affects the rest of my life. And the term effective living helped me work through the concept of perfectionism, which is really important because you don't really achieve anything that way. Trying to have every single little thing around you or, you know, the project you're working on. Obviously, the code has to work and we need syntax and things like that. But just nitpicking over and over to make something perfect, you don't get anywhere that way. But being effective, just like the word effective calls up the process over the results. I think if you focus on the process, you will have those results that you want. And it allows room for challenges. You can challenge yourself, but also grace and self-care. It touches on what we've been discussing previously a little bit. If I'm learning to code or I have a tenacious goal or something that I wish to overachieve at, you could say, I will get a bit consumed by it and really dedicate myself to it. And that in a way is a good trait, right? Like this ability to commit yourself to something. But what almost always happened, I would like to say that I'm better at effective living these days because I, I do relate to what you're saying. But what used to happen a lot is that it would become so consuming and I felt so productive about it. Eventually, I would start to hit the boundaries of burnout, you could say. I could press on the edges of burnouts and that would often lead to me being much less productive as I fail to, you know, look after my body and go on a walk or exercise vigorously. Or if I neglect my diet, for instance, and I don't nourish properly, or if I eat bad food in a rush. And then what tends to happen is I'm still at the desk. I'm still at the computer putting in the hours, but they're not clean hours. Like I'm either not really taking in the information if I'm learning something, or I'm actually not being too deliberate or intentional about my direction. One thing with coding is that, you know, you're never done learning and there's always something fairly low hanging fruit to pick on and chew on if you like, like a new technology or a little bit of syntax or something. Playing with those things while it's fun, it could be seen as a distraction from the intended result, which might be to create a great application or make a career change. I tend to like not be as focused in those moments if I haven't been intentional about the way that I'm living, not just the way I'm coding. For sure. Like, I feel like... It's way, way easy with everything that we have available to us um, technology-wise and otherwise to just go off on a tangent. And it might feel good short-term, 
but is it really adding any value to what you need to be doing and how you need to be growing as a person? Did you ever catch yourself slipping in that regard and have to put yourself back on track? Oh, yeah. I actually had a moment at the end of 2022, right before I joined the Scrumba boot camp, where I was almost at the point where I couldn't do it anymore. I was dreading opening my laptop. I felt like I wasn't understanding anything. I wasn't able to make anything work. And then I was like, I need more than what I can give myself as a self-taught developer right now, especially with having to juggle those other two facets, the family and the my part-time job. So that's what led me to join the, the Scrimba Bootcamp. I needed someone to hand me the structure. I wanted guidance from mentors and I had played around a little bit with the learn JavaScript class that Pear does. because I was really struggling with JavaScript. I'm like, I've had these classes. I don't understand how it works with HTML and CSS. And I, you know, I was having those should moments. Like I've been doing this for two years. I should understand this and I don't. And making this decision to join Scrimba and doubling down on the systems I was working within, like how many hours a week am I going to devote to this? What's my plan? What's my monthly plan? What's my weekly plan? Really catapulted me out of that burnout into the next phase. And then nine months later, I had a job. That's remarkable. Congratulations. Yeah, thank you. It, It felt remarkable, but was definitely still like, not easy. But I felt like what I had learned from that low point was like, oh, I'm not going to go there again. So how do we move through this? How can I challenge myself to be better than that the next time? I like the should moments. I've not heard that one before, but there's a lot of them (laughs) when you're learning to code. And I like this idea of systems as well. I think that's a concept that comes up in Atomic Habits. What is your view on systems? Like, How do you use them in your life and on your journey to code and get a job that have helped you be successful? I make monthly and weekly plans and I handwrite them in a notebook. I will even like handwrite code snippets. It just kind of connects everything for me in my brain. I know it sounds very old school to take handwritten notes, but I really, really enjoy it. Yeah, I've seen people bring it up on neurodiversity and psychology podcasts and learning podcasts like It comes up more often these days as a way to, exactly as you put it, connect with the information, better retain it. And yeah, for some people, it just works better. I totally respect that. Yeah, it totally works for me. For example, when I'm transitioning into doing it a little bit differently for my job, but when I was in the boot camp, I would list, like, for example, for the week, what I was going to work on and the minimum hours I wanted to put in. And I would literally make a little checkbox that I could tick off when I was done with that day, I would have a section for the courses I was working on. And then I would have a section for networking and job search. And then I would have a section for LinkedIn and then a section for effective living. And then I would just work through the list throughout the week. And it was also very important to make it not too, I don't want to say involved, but like not too rigorous is something that I could actually achieve. And then if I could achieve more than that, then that's great. But it was kind of like the minimum that I expected of myself and thought that I could accomplish that week. And then that helped me work through the boot camp, the tutorials, the projects. It sounds then like at one point you sat down and you identified the key pillars in your life. For example, you mentioned the learning to code, but also things like LinkedIn. And then instead of just setting like a goal, for example, get a job as a developer, that's kind of broad. You could break that down into more manageable inputs, you could say. 
for example, working on a particular project or studying a certain module or participating in the boot camp at some capacity. Am I understanding that right? Yeah. And I kind of do that with everything, even coding. Just just break it down into its manageable pieces because it's just so much easier that way, at least for me and the way my mind works, just to focus on a small piece rather than the daunting overall task of making a career change and changing into being a developer. You know, what can I do right now? Or what even what can I do in this five minutes that's going to get me closer? And I think Atomic Habits is the one where he talks about 1% better every day or 1% closer. How can you do that? The other example from Atomic Habits that's burned on my brain is this idea that a goal is different from a system in that if you imagine a sports game like football, for instance, every team has the same goal, which is to win the game or score the most goals. So therefore, if every team and every player has the same goal, that can't be what differentiates the winners from the losers. We as developers, as people learning new skills, we put a lot of time and effort into coming up with goals, right? They could be smart goals, really well thought out. But that example kind of shows that it might not be the right thing to invest time in compared to a plan or a system. In the case of football, your goal might be to win the game, but your system is what your team does at practice each day, right? Or how you play the match. And and this is so important, I think, to realize because everybody needs a different system. It has to be tailored to you and how your brain works. I like that you use a, a physical medium to write these things down, by the way. But the most important thing is to break it down and come up with an actual plan, right? And I like to orientate the plan around inputs because you can't always control the outputs, especially when you're learning something hard, like a coding topic. You, you could say that you're going to learn this subject in three days, or you're going to complete the side project in 10 days, but you don't yet really know enough to make an accurate estimate, but you can absolutely control your inputs, right? You can spend one hour per day focused studying. You can spend two hours per day focused working on a side project. When you focus on LinkedIn, for instance, you can commit to post twice a week and that's your proxy to establishing an effective network that might pay off in terms of your career goals a few months down the line. Focusing on these inputs, I think, is a great way to go. Exactly. And it goes back to what I said before in regard to effective living. The goal is the result that you want, but you're focusing on the on the process over the result. If you don't have that process, if you don't have that effort, you're not going to get there. You don't just like wake up one day and like, oh, I'm a developer now. It's like, how, how are you going to get there? Yeah, no, exactly. 100%. And then once you get there... The best example I can give is running because I've often had goals around running, which is I want to run this far at this speed. And then I accomplish that. And then I'm just like, ah, now what? Goals are like reach it and be done type of objectives. But to have a successful career or an effective life, uh, we don't really want it to be done. Actually, we want to like find a certain flow in things and, you know, continue to evolve and, and live harmoniously. So I think this whole thread that we've been picking up in this conversation about effective living, it's super pertinent. I'm really glad you brought it up. It's actually a favorite topic of mine. Let's shift gears a little bit and talk about the job that you ended up getting. Can you tell us a bit more about how you got your first role in tech? 
What was your plan? And did things go to plan or was this something that popped up as an unexpected kind of thing? My plan originally was to get my portfolio and resume up to speed. And then when I began the React portion of the bootcamp, then I would start looking for jobs. I didn't intend to like land on anything for like a while based on other people's experiences. But I thought if I started then... I could at least get an idea of how interviews go. Does my resume and my portfolio need refining? How it actually went. And full disclosure, I feel incredibly, incredibly lucky in my situation and that I kind of like skipped the line because I know even my classmates or contemporaries had to search a long time to get a job. And this particular position was sent to me by a local connection that I made. He was aware of what I was doing and he works in software. And he said, I think you would be good for this. And I looked at the posting and I was like, this is like, how, how is this even real? It was like one of the only ones I've seen that said zero to two years experience. It's like the Holy Grail. You hear it going, ah. Yeah, it was like the clouds parted and, you know, the light came down and, and they were looking for someone who just had the basics, HTML, CSS, and JavaScript. Now, if they had more than that, great. I had never seen this. So I applied. Luckily, I, I was in the final stages of getting my resume and my portfolio reviewed by a lot of like chats and networking I was doing on ADP list. I had four interviews and I was hired and I started in September. This connection you had in the town, can you talk a bit more about how you met them? Our kids go to school together and I forget where we were. We just started talking about, you know, what do you do? What do you do? And um, he told me he was in software and I told him what I was doing. And honestly, most of my networking was like totally online. I don't live like in a, in a large city or anything that has like tech meetups and stuff like that. So I didn't expect it to come. Um, you know, from, but never underestimate any connection you can make in the tech world. Don't underestimate any connection that you can make. You know, it, it doesn't have to be like transactional or anything. It's actually been a really pleasurable experience to like meet all these people. And then, you know, I could leverage that network if, if I needed to, but it, it just came from that, from that work of networking and talking to people. Like if I had not put myself out there with whatever person I meet just to make that connection, I would not have that job. Well, I have two jobs on this show. The first one is to press the record button, which I've done so far. And the second is to kind of use my seat as the host, having spoken to hundreds of guests to like draw connections between what could be a good tip to someone listening. And as you're talking about, you know, meeting someone via the school and really having an authentic conversation with them, bringing your whole self to the conversation, just talking about something you're passionate about or some challenges you're having and that playing out in some way. Well, it reminded me of Johnny Pirano, who I spoke to a few months ago. Uh, he's based in Florida, I believe, and was telling me a story about how at his daughter's dance, he was showing somebody like an app he built just, you know, because he was excited about it. And alongside all his LinkedIn and, you know, social media networking, 
that was the connection that led to him getting his first job, actually. So the fact that this has happened twice in just a few months, it suggests to me that it's a good tactic. You never know who can help you, basically. Absolutely correct. I think authenticity plays a big part as well, because I think that helped me land my job my authenticity in who I was. There's somebody out there that's looking for you, who you are and what you can bring to the table. You know, I would never enter into these interviews or these situations like networking with people, trying to put up a front of who you think you should be. Now, that's not to say like you shouldn't develop professional skills, like all the soft skills and everything. But someone out there is looking for you, not this, you know, other version of you, but you and what you can bring to the table. I suppose on the topic of effective living, it's up to you, right, what your intended result is and how you want to lead your life. But for me personally, and it, it sounds a little bit for you as well, if I if I can be so bold, um, I don't really want to pretend to be someone else in a professional context. Like there is a certain professional etiquette and behavior that I will bring to the environment um, but I, I personally am okay bringing my whole self to the job. That doesn't mean that I go to work and start, you know, like telling people intimate details about my life or, you know, anything like that. That's not what that means. It's just about being genuine, I think, and daring to care, you could say, and showing an interest in people and empathizing with them and, and they'll do the same for you. I want to just, I have to do this. Like it's kind of my thing, but every time someone says that they were lucky or that they feel privileged compared to others, I think that's very valid. Like, I don't mean to say that it isn't, but every time I hear that, I kind of instinctively know it's not true in a way because, you know, it was this one person that, yeah, I admit is is kind of a crazy coincidence. They were local to you as well, even though you're not in a tech hub. Uh, that is a coincidence, but they, they were one of probably tens and tens of people you've crossed paths with in your journey, whether it was through the mentoring website or a community or Discord or LinkedIn. And it's this idea of a luck surface area, the more opportunities you create for yourself, or in other words, the more you put yourself out there, the greater your likelihood of something falling into places. And sure, when that happens, it's going to seem like a great coincidence, but I never want someone to underestimate that because you create your own luck, in my opinion. Luck is what happens when hard work meets opportunity. It could also be the case that you were speaking to this person at the school, um, but you weren't practiced in explaining what you're working on. Or perhaps you were not really thinking that you were having anything interesting to share. Like I'm sure somebody could feel like that potentially. Um, and it might have been that you were just too early in your journey. So when the opportunity crossed your desk, even though it's a zero to two year experience, that is a competitive role. There would have been other candidates. You know, there's a reason that you got that role, right? It's because you've been preparing so well over the course of a few years, very intentionally to take that opportunity. So I just wanted to speak my mind on that topic because I think it's important to acknowledge the connection between the inputs, effort and hard work and what happened here and not only appreciate it. Right? Like I think it's good to appreciate it and recognize there is an element of like good fortune there, you could say. But I, I do think it's very much connected to the input there. You're absolutely right. How is the role going, by the way? You've been there for a few months now, I think. I've been there for three months now. I was hired with the full intention that I would be learning as I worked. My manager was willing to take me on as a learner, I got a take-home project. They knew that I hadn't really gotten into React yet. So the take-home project was building a React component to gauge like how quickly I could pick it up. And so it's known that I am learning 
as I'm working, I'm contributing as much as I can. And I'm not the first person that has gone off in this particular fashion. And I hope like more companies will kind of take on this trend. I know, I think Jimmy was one who's one of my bootcamp classmates and was also on the podcast. You're in the same cohort as Jimmy. That's amazing. We'll link his episode in the show notes. I don't really remember it, but he might have been farther along than me when I joined. I don't quite remember, but we were in the group for a period of time. Jimmy's episode is called Cooking Up a Career Change because he was previously a chef. We'll link that in the show notes for people to check out as well. And then a couple other people I know that are hired in that capacity um, through LinkedIn. So I really, it's a, it's a really good setup. You know, if the company's willing to do that, you know, my, my manager's willing to do that and he's really, really awesome about it. So um, the first month was a lot of onboarding, learning how to work in a production code base, getting to know my teammates, how to work in sprints, learning about the company, learning how to work remotely. That was at least, you know, the first couple of weeks. How does it feel to get paid to learn on the job so explicitly? That sounds like a pretty perfect situation to me. It's totally amazing. But at the same time, you know, I am, you know, fully trying to add value wherever I can in whatever capacity I can. Can you talk a bit more to that? I've never been in this situation and yet I have spoken about it on the podcast quite a lot with others. This idea that when you get an entry level position and you're still, you know, taking your time and hitting the ground running, obviously you're not going to be working on the most critical features or solving this heroic bug like a senior dev with 10 years of experience might. Granted, you're not being paid the same either. And if you are, more power to you, by the way, but often you're not. It does create this feeling sometimes of like maybe like not contributing enough or taking more than you give that can feel a certain way. What is your perspective on it now you're now you're kind of in this environment as a as a true entry level junior? It can feel that way and kind of in the same way that you're you're learning to code and you're like, oh, I'm, I'm not sure I can do this. But I think it's important to build a rapport with the people that you're working with, especially your managers. Uh, we have a one on one session every other week where I would get feedback and I get feedback pretty much every time I, I do a ticket. And we have the full expectation that we're going to get constructive feedback in a positive way. So I think if you build, like I said, this rapport, this communication, it's kind of like a safeguard from that where you can check in and be like, hey, you know, am I performing to your to your expectations? What feedback do you have for me that I could I could do better? I like that a lot. Cassie, thank you so much for joining me on the Scrimba podcast. It's been a pleasure. Yeah, it's been a total pleasure, Alex. Thank you for having me on. That was the Scrimba Podcast, episode 144. If you made it this far, please subscribe. You can find the show wherever you listen to podcasts. Check out the show notes for the ways to connect with Cassie, as well as all the resources mentioned in this episode. The show is hosted by Alex Booker. I've been Jan, the producer. Keep coding, and we'll see you next time.